So it's finally here. Some of us have waited a long time for it. We've seen signs of its coming. We've speculated about what we would get. And here it is. And of course, no duh, you see what I'm doing here. I am talking about The Last Jedi. Has anyone already seen it? <laughs> so for the last few weeks, we have been looking at how the stories in Star Wars can help us understand the story of Advent. And each week, I've gone on a little deep dive into the plot of different movies. Fear not. We will not be going into the plot of The Last Jedi. There will be no spoilers here. I haven't even seen the movie yet. Instead, there's a different story I want to tell. A larger story about God's attempt to save and redeem humanity. And I want to look at what that means for us, for our lives, and for the Christmas that we are about to celebrate. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God made humanity in God's own image and breathed into us the breath of life. God placed Adam and Eve in a garden to live in perfect relationship with God, with one another, and with the rest of creation. There was one rule to ensure this harmony would remain intact. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Adam and Eve, tempted by a serpent to be like gods themselves, ate the fruit of that tree and their relationship with God, with each other, and with creation was thrown into disorder. They were expelled from the garden and things got progressively worse. Cain kills Abel. Sin and disorder reigns. So God decides it's time for an edit undo. A control Z, if you will. God decides he will flood the earth. But then he notices a man named Noah who exhibits proper righteousness and he saves Noah and his family through the ark. Afterwards, God promises that God will never again destroy the earth and makes a covenant with humanity. Covenant becomes the new way that God relates to humanity. God makes promises. God makes deals. God makes contracts. God tells Abraham he will make of him a great nation. And the nation of Israel becomes God's chosen special people. Israel wind up living in Egypt after a famine drives them there. And after a while, the children of Egypt become slaves of the Egyptians. Children of Israel become slaves of the Egyptians. But God hears the cry of his children. He hears their agony. He hears them calling out in pain. And God springs into action to bring about the deliverance of his people. God now enters history in order to save God's people. God saves a baby, Moses, through the tragedy of genocide. God calls Moses to be his messenger to Pharaoh. God allows plagues to happen so Pharaoh will listen to God. Finally, Pharaoh relents, and God parts the Red Sea, allowing the children of Israel to pass through the waters on dry land. God leads them through the wilderness, promising to give them a land of their own. Then God gives them a law, another covenant, that will guide and govern the life of God's people. 
In previous covenants, God made promises of how God would relate to humanity with little to no expectation or obligation on humanity's part. The early covenants were descriptors of what God would do or would not do with respect to humanity. Now, this covenant orders not just God's relation to humanity, but humanity's response to God's actions. God saved Israel from the Egyptians. Therefore, Israel will relate to God, to each other, and to the rest of creation in particular ways. God leads the Israelites through the wilderness and gets them to the promised land. God continues to provide for his children, giving them water, food, protection from threats and dangers of passing through the wilderness, seeing to all of their needs. But God's children continue to forget their end of the relationship. God's children continue to do things their own way instead of following the ways of God in the world. Following their own way gets Israel into trouble. Shocking. They are beset and besieged by enemies that reside in the lands that God gave Israel. These people raise up armies and induce skirmishes against the Israelites and ultimately threaten God's people. God raises up leaders who lead Israel to victory over their enemies. Thankful for God's provision, God's children follow his ways for a little bit little bit. But then they forget God's ways and the cycle repeats. Desiring stability, security, and safety, Israel demands that God anoint for them a king. So God gives his people a king who will be charged with administering the laws God had given the people. But more often than not, the kings became mostly concerned with increasing and maintaining their own power base relative to other nations rather than staying true to God's decrees. They married daughters of foreign kings to consolidate power and maintain alliances. They worshipped foreign gods to hedge their bets. And they led their people down the paths of idolatry. In an attempt to win and woo his people back, God raised up prophets. God raised up people who would be faithful to God and who would say and do unpopular things to remind the people Israel of their God and his law. One prophet was told to go marry a prostitute and named his children unloved and not my people. Another prophet, in order to warn the people of what was to come, cut off all of his hair and his beard with a sword, burned a third of it, threw a third of it to the wind, and hacked a third of it to pieces. The prophets are awesome. <laughs> One prophet walked and preached around Jerusalem for three years naked to show Israel how vulnerable they were. The prophets pronounced impending famine, the impending destruction of Jerusalem and all Israel, and said that God would reject his chosen people as his people had rejected God. All of this comes to pass. But in the midst of the prophets preaching and, dare I say, acting out, we see hope. The same prophet who named his children unloved and not my people says that God will give us new names. We hear that if the people would turn from their idolatrous ways, God will end the famine. God promises an end to the exile. 
The prophet that did all of that stuff with his hair did keep some of it, a remnant, on his garment. Things are bad, but there is hope that God can bring about a time when things will get better. And we hear a promise that one day God will write his law on the people's hearts. We hear a promise that God will come amongst his people. Israel will once again be God's people, be his children. Israel will once again be a great nation living in peace with the other nations. Israel will see prosperity and peace. The Old Testament ends with these prophets living in and preaching in and ministering in the tension of disobedience and calls to faith, punishment, and hope for redemption. In the days leading up to the last Jedi release, we knew very little of what was coming. The story had been rebooted successfully and we had all the pieces, but we had no idea where they were going. In the weeks up to the release, I read articles and theories about what might happen. I read a ranked list of who might get killed off in the new movie. I don't, I, I mean, I don't know why. I just didn't. There were timelines of all that had happened from Return of the Jedi to The Last Jedi. We looked backward in order to anticipate what was coming. As our final moment of waiting for and anticipating what is to come and happen next in our story of God's relation to humanity, we look back to remember all that had happened. We remember how God graciously and lovingly created all there is. We remember that ever since we messed up that perfect creation, God has been working with us, reaching out to, wooing, loving, redeeming us. God has wanted to bring us healing. God has saved us from hurt. God has averted tragedy. God has led and called us into the way that leads to life. And all throughout, God has promised a new thing. God promised a new way that would be the culmination of all that God has, been, has done and is doing in his relationship with us. And as we all take a collective pause, we hear these words in final preparation. It's from the first chapter of Luke's Gospel. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. 
and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God shall ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is a peculiar story. One that introduces us to new characters and a new narrative. So much of the way it is told is meant to signal continuity with the old and yet something decisively new. In the first couple of verses, Mary is called a virgin twice. You get the sense this might come into play later. Then we have an angel appearing to her saying that she has found favor with God. In the Old Testament, that signals that this person will be given a special task, which is probably why she was worried. And it turns out true for her case as well. Mary's task will be to have a son who will take the throne of his ancestor David. But unlike the prior kings whose reigns came and went, this son of Mary will rule forever and ever. Oh, and this son will be called Son of the Most High, which is to say Son of God, but not in the same way as the Roman Emperor was the Son of God, in a very Hebrew Son of Yahweh way. Mary asks how this can happen, for she is a virgin. I knew this would come up again. The angel calmly, and without giving off the slightest impression that this is super duper weird, says, Oh, no probs. The Holy Spirit will come over you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Yeah, totally. No problem. But seriously, all of this is meant to signal that this work of God, this interaction of God, is new, is different. God is going to do a new thing completely outside the normal order. And perhaps that is a good thing. Perhaps that for us is hope. Because the normal order has led to a cycle of sin and death that hasn't really worked out for us. A baby who will be called son of the Most High and is going to rule over the nations is going to be born of a virgin. Born outside the normal biological order of birth. This baby will be categorically different. Perhaps, perhaps he will be able to break other orders, cycles, and systems as well. Hey, buddy. We are going to speak more about what this child can and will do in a week. Trust me, I have more to say about the baby. But for now, I want us to focus on the promise, on the call on what this means for us, especially in light of the grand epic story that preceded it. You might be asking yourself why I spent so much time going through the Old Testament and not as much time, you know, with the gospel lesson that we printed in your bulletins. It's a good question. I think what I wanted us to see today is that God never stops trying. God never says, here's my plan A, here's my game plan, and if that doesn't work, oh well. God doesn't say, well, I made it kind of easy for them. Just follow these 600 steps and it'll all work out. And why, oh why, oh why, oh why can't they follow them? God doesn't say like I have tended to do in relationships. All right, I've texted three times in a row. Now it's on them. I don't know how many of you watched the TV show Scrubs, but I did. And I loved it. 
In the first season, there was a particularly powerful episode where at the end of it, wise Dr. Cox ends up talking about relationships. And he says this, quote, bottom line is, couples who are truly right for each other wade through the same stuff as everybody else. But the big difference is they don't let it take them down. One of those two people will stand up and fight for that relationship every time if it's right and they're real lucky. One of them will say something. I say that random quote from a really old TV show to say this. God has always stood up and fought. God has always spoken. God has always worked. From the beginning of time, our God has been working and fighting and acting and speaking and trying to win his people back. Trying to make his children love him. Trying to perfect us with his love. And God is about to do something new. God's about to try something new. God's about to move and act and work in a new way. Both in our story as we head towards Christmas and in our community, in our church, in our lives. God's going to show up. And the question is, are you ready? I forgot who it was that I first heard say this, but we don't know that Mary was the first person asked to bear the Son of God. We don't know that Mary was God's first choice. We don't know that Mary was the first to get the call. But we know she was the last to receive it. We know she was the right one to receive it. God is going to move. God is going to act. God is going to come into your world in a big new way. What will your response be? What will you do? Will you receive God? Will you work with God? Will you say yes to God? Will you risk it? Will you be vulnerable? Will you say yes? Will you fight for God and fight with God? Christmas is coming. Christ is coming. Will you be ready for the new thing that God wants to do in your life, in your family, in your neighborhood to win you back, win your spouse back, win your children back, win your family back, win your neighbors back to him? God's never giving up on us, on you, on me, on our world. He enlists us in the proclaiming of his love. Will you respond as Mary did? as we head towards Christmas, if you will. If you will respond with Mary, if you are ready for the big thing that God is about to do in your life, say it with me. I am the Lord's servant. May your word be to me be fulfilled. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Let us pray. Almighty and all of in God, we are ready. We are ready. We have prepared. We have waited. We are ready for you to show up. We are ready for you to do something new and big in our hearts, in our lives, in our church, in our community. We are your servants, God. And we know that you have things in store for us. We know that you are never going to stop trying, never going to stop working. And we know you're about to work. We are ready, God. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, into our hearts. 
Come, Lord Jesus, into our families. Come, Lord Jesus, into our communities. Come, Lord Jesus, into our church. Show up. Work. Because we are ready to work with you. Help us go from this place, God, into our homes, into our places of work, into our communities, and be your servants there. Be beacons of your love and grace there. Help us bear your love, bear your light, bear your presence in the parts of this world that need you the most. All this we pray in the one who has come and the one who is coming, Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen.